Hey, did you just have a meeting with a donor and they told you something really, really important and you have no place to put it except for like maybe an Excel spreadsheet or I don't know, a random piece of paper in your office? Go to DonorDoc.com. Get a CRM system that works. Get a donor database system that works. Get something that gives you beautiful reports and beautiful dashboards that even your crankiest board member will love. Go to DonorDoc.com. Use the code word do good better at checkout and get a month free. DonorDoc.com. Your organization is awesome, but sometimes you want to be even awesomer. It's time to get your fundraising on with your host, fundraising expert and author, Patrick Kirby. Hey everybody, welcome to the official Do Good Better podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kirby, and of course we talk to people all over the place to help our small and medium-sized nonprofits do good better. I can't think of a better guest today because we've got this sort of like, okay, got a startup motif. We've got someone who's been in the sort of uh, uh, large organizations all at the same time. Hey, I bet you didn't know they experienced the same issues that your small, medium-sized nonprofit do as well. Turns out, yes, it is. Diana Zhang is our guest today. She is the CEO and co-founder of NeighborShare. Diana, how on earth are you today? I am doing so great, Patrick, and just so excited to be here this morning. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited uh, to chat with you uh, in our little pre-interview. I realized that very quickly we're going to have a fantastic conversation. But for those who are just flipping through iTunes or they're getting their weekly email that says, uh, oh, new podcast up, they don't know who you are. So let's get a 5,000 foot view of who you are, what you do, and why we're chatting today. Absolutely. So so quick background on me. So I'm over here based in Connecticut. Um, in my normal day job, as I like to describe it, I'm actually a 15-year executive at a global hedge fund out here uh, called Bridgewater Associates. And of all the things that were unexpectedly, you know, came out of 2020 and the pandemic, for me, it became a, you know, me taking a really unexpected leap of faith and becoming the co-founder and full-time CEO of a nonprofit startup called called NeighborShare. And so that's, that's what I do. That's what I've had the privilege of doing, um, you know, uh, on a full-time basis all this year, you know, really just looking to build out our mission and get the word out. Tell me about NeighborShare. I think that's a good starting point because I've got a lot of questions. Uh, I got a lot of, uh, and I think a lot of nonprofits who kind of work in that empowerment um, sort of uh, realm are going to be super inspired about kind of what you do, how you do it, and then how you started in the first place. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. So NeighborShare's whole mission is really centered around getting direct help to the people who need it the most when they need it. That was the problem statement, basically, that my co-founders and I started with. And we do this by empowering what we call our community's frontline heroes, right? So think of them as, you know, the case managers and social workers at local nonprofits, teachers at schools. Eventually, you can imagine us expanding this model to nurses at hospitals. You know, basically, we wanted to empower the population who was already so deeply embedded in the community and the experts, right? Like these are the folks who have the pulse on our communities and intimately know when needs are happening and when needs in particular are slipping through the cracks. And so what NeighborShare does is think of us as a platform, like a tech platform, right? And what we do is we partner with just really fantastic nonprofits all over the country. And we work with their frontline staff to identify what we call pivotal needs of $400 or less. Um, you know, and once again, that would otherwise um, slip through the cracks. And then we we basically hustle on our end to raise the dollars to so again get that direct help, um, you know, directly back to the, the neighbors in need that have been identified on the ground. And so, and so that's what we do. Yeah. yeah. That, I think it was one of the more complicated things um, that, listen, there's probably a lot of help out there. 
But if you don't have a navigation system or you don't have somebody to help you navigate the uh, the public sector where there are so many paths and so many things that you've got to go and hoops to jump through, it's really it's really terrifying to start, right? If you're a, an individual who's got, I don't know, a diagnosis, somebody with, with their kid just got diagnosed with autism, for example, how to find something to do after that diagnosis is a terrifying prospect. But if somebody has a basic need or something like that, when you when you are the when it's the first time you've ever needed something, or the first time you've had some sort of basic need or some sort of thing that you haven't had, possibly you don't know where to go. Like there's no uh, Rolodex or yellow pages. Like, hmm, all right, here's my basic needs Rolodex, and you're kind of flipping through that. So this is a brilliant sort of uh, sort of thing. What was the, what was sort of a, maybe the first little four hundred dollar or less item? that sparked that as a level of a $400 or less item. Yeah. I mean, our, um, that, that $400 was basically inspired by our rallying cry <laughs> when we first found a neighbor share, right. Which is this really devastating, um, federal reserve statistic that they actually published back out in 2018. So imagine that was before pandemic, by the way. So it's only probably gotten worse, right. Which is that 40% of Americans can't afford a $400 emergency, mm-hmm. right. They're just slipping through the cracks. Right. And so, so our rallying cry was how do we go create a social safety net in this, in this, in this, in, in this world of like just neighbors helping neighbors and how do we make sure that those pivotal moments right where a relatively small amount of money can have truly outsized impact on a person or family on the ground how do we do that right and so um and it's interesting, like in the same way that you're saying, it could be really hard for a neighbor in need to sort of figure out how to navigate the system, et cetera. One of the problems we were wanting to solve for was also how do we solve that issue for our donors as well, right? Like if you're literally just the average donor on the street, which was totally me, like, you know, a year and a half ago. And if I've said, if I like had this intention of like, yeah, I would love to help a neighbor. Like I can actually make real impact with 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 25 bucks. It's actually really hard if you think about it to just walk down the street and go identify that neighbor in need, right? So that's where that, once again, our, our model and our insight around the, hey, let's go empower are the people who know <laughs> who are already working so hard to sort of provide those resources and help help our neighbors in need navigate the system let's give them an extra resource you know like one of the the visuals i have is almost like i want i want neighbor share to be like that case manager's bat phone when they're in that sort of unfortunate situation of like having tried their best put their heart and soul into it and unfortunately Unfortunately, still might need to turn away a client because they run out of resources or, you know, it's like a need, like, you know, there's no emergency fund for car repairs. <laughs> there's no, you know, there's like there's random life things happen all the time, right? And so like, let's be that bat phone so that when something like that comes up, um, that, you know, we can quickly get resources back in the hands of that frontline hero to get, get to the, you know, the person who needs it on the ground. I normally say when uh, when somebody comes up or they'll they'll call and say, like, "Hey, I'm thinking about starting a nonprofit." My initial says, my initial gut says, "Please don't." God knows, no. There's enough. <laughs> we got enough. Just find something that you can do. What I love about this though is that this solves um, one of the, the the tenets that we've sort of just said that are acceptable for starting nonprofits is filling holes that the government can't, shouldn't, and won't do. There's no bat phone for the government. The government's going to tell you to go and look somewhere else. So this is one of those things that actually has a tangible end game, which is getting money directly into somebody's hand with there is an emergency. So a valid uh, nonprofit startup, uh, that is for sure. Um, I think what one of the challenges that uh, I think small, medium-sized nonprofits uh, face is this overwhelming um, sense of comparison to others who do really, really well. And um, as, as somebody who's come from as an executive uh, in sort of a you know, sort of a financial management firm, right? So dealing with you know hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars, right? Starting a nonprofit 
should be pretty easy for you, shouldn't it? Right? You've got no <laughs> hurdles or anything to uh, to go through. You just poof, call some uh, folks on on the phone, and you're done. Right? <laughs> Patrick, it's so hard. <laughs> what? What? I don't it's understand. So hard. <laughs> And, you know, coming in, like I would say, you know, and I've, I've been sharing this reflection as we, as we, you know, head toward the holidays and year end. I've been sharing, you know, and a lot of my friends are so curious about, hey, what's your experience been like, right? You know, like 15 years at a hedge fund and now this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so interesting. I like to say it's been like a year of dichotomies, right? Where it's sort of um, been a sort of like very confidence building year for me in the sense that, hey, like I've proven to myself in the world that, yep, we can build something from scratch. We can do something really great and we can build a real movement and community just based on goodness, right? Mm -hmm. Based on the desire for neighborliness. And that just like fills me with joy and happiness and just satisfaction, right? And at the same time, oh my gosh, what a humbling year it's been. It's hard. Right. You know, and then, you know, like I, I'm sure folks have read, like when I read the books about like the founder's journey and how it's lonely and the entrepreneurial grind and how you really need the grit, et cetera. Like, I don't think I fully appreciated what that meant until I've been in it. Right. And so it's sort of like, and I think it's, um, and I, I, and like, you know, the, the thing you said about the, like, yeah, it's like really hard for the small, medium sized nonprofits to not just want to compare mm-hmm. yourself all the time. Like that, that actually really struck a chord with me. Cause I'm like, Oh, I find myself doing that. And it's real dangerous because it's basically really unfair to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause like, you know, and, um, it's, uh, it's interesting. Like one of the best pieces of advice, you know, in all my sort of like studying and networking and whatever this whole year, I got introduced to, um, you know, this founder of another, like a startup nonprofit that, you know, she started like five years ago and whatever. And like her advice just really resonated with me. She was like, Diana, like, I know the type of person you are, right? Type A, wants to get a lot of stuff done, wants to move fast, wants whatever. And she's like, that was like me too. Right. And it's sort of like, yeah, why isn't this thing just big and awesome and overnight and whatever? And she was like, I had to learn this phrase and I, and I literally repeat it as a mantra to myself sometimes, right? It's, you got to give time, time. Mm, I love that. Right. It doesn't mean you're moving slowly. It doesn't mean that you got to whatever, but it's sort of like, um, in the same way that you plant a seed and it takes year for a tree, like years for trees to grow. Like that's kind of what building a business is like. Right. Mm -hmm. And then by the way, like all those really big, awesome nonprofits you're eyeing and being like, why haven't I built that yet? Et cetera. Like dig in. Like, and I've talked to some of the founders and stuff, right? Like I've talked to them and like, um, heard them, you know, share first person sort of like what the grind was like, especially in the first few years when they were also a small and medium size. Right. So it's one, just, you got to remember like, yep, they're 15, 20 years ahead of us. (laughs) They had a lot of time. And then two, like everyone goes through the initial challenges and that's okay. That probably Mm -hmm. means you're doing it right. Yeah, right? yeah. So. I, I love giving uh, time time. It doesn't mean that you're not doing stuff. Yes. Um, but those big, hairy, audacious goals don't happen overnight. Uh, we right. just had a, a client of ours land a, a massive grant, like a seven-figure grant. Took eight years. Yeah. Like that's a long time, and it's okay. Uh, it's not that you're not providing, or you're not growing, or you're not doing some of these things, but it takes time, regardless of where you are or what niche you're in. That's right. And I think that's the other thing too, is that the ones that blow up and the ones that you saw that like, I started this three months ago and now we're a multi-billion dollar nonprofit organization. Those are so far removed from the reality of day to day, everybody uh, doing this. Um, It's just nice to hear regardless of where somebody is. Everyone wants their thing to go viral. overnight. But like, let me just tell you, that's not a business strategy. It's not. No one's going to turn it down if, like, it happens. Like, I'd be like, hey, I'd love Neighbors Share to go viral. But, like, that's not the point of comparison. And that's not and that's not the way to measure your own success. 
Well, and um, I think that I think the other thing too, and maybe you found this as well, is that the the small steps forward allow you sort of to uh, sort of adjust without sort of revolutionizing the concept in the first place, right? The little little tweaks rather than giant leaps uh, in different directions. And from somebody who I clearly has this uh, sort of um, uh, very same sort of shiny object syndrome sort of brain. We're like, well, that's a really good idea. Let's do that. Um, that that's that's the best way to go. And that's the best patience where you look back like maybe six months or two years and like, wow, we started here and went there. And that's why we constantly on the show is reminding people to celebrate wins, regardless of they're little or big in the first place is because you have to be, and you have to remind yourself of your nonprofit progress. And if you don't celebrate a win, you don't realize that how far you've you've come from where you began in the first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and like and that, that also reminds me of this other great piece of advice I got from a mutual friend who was like, look, like this thing can just like suck you up and suck you dry if you let it. Right. Like literally, you know, like our whole mission is like, let's go help the 40 percent of Americans who can't afford this. $400. I mean, that's humongous. <laughs> right. And he's like, and you can't make success that. Right. So the other thing I just constantly remind myself of, to your point about celebrating the wins, is like every neighbor helped is a win. Yeah. Every yeah. single yes. one. Right. Like, of course, we have these grand visions of like, can we help, you know, tens of thousands, millions, blah, like over time. Every single neighbor helped every day is a win. And we should celebrate that because sure. guess what? That resource wasn't there the day before. No. Right? So let's talk a little bit about that, because I think what you've done in this $400 or less sort of uh, immediate impact thing allows you a lot of those success stories. Um, I'd love, um, b- because maybe this is more comparison to the small, medium-sized nonprofits so that they can take and say, wow, that's a win that I can celebrate or a type of win we can celebrate at our own organization. So are there some examples of something recently or more memorable moments that you've had that have kept you going from some impact that you have made through NeighborShare already? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the way I have um, our system set up is that as these you know validated needs are being submitted by our frontline heroes on the ground, they flow through to my inbox live. Right. So I'm really seeing through every single, you know, neighbor in need that we're, we're, you know, on path to helping and whatever else. And, um, I mean, like my head's going a little bit crazy. There's just so many that strike me, right? Because it's once again, this notion of like mm-hmm. a relatively small need can make such yes. an outsized impact, right? <laughs> and so, for example, I mean, this one just last week broke my heart a little bit. You know, it was this, it was this teenage father, right? You know, submitted by a partner, I think out in Texas or something and working hard to sort of like build his career so that he can start supporting his baby. And the ask was literally just for $125 because he needed $100 to get his security guard training certification. And he needed $25 worth of bus tickets to go back and forth to that training. And then what that unlock, just think about it, right? What that mm-hmm. unlock, this kid actually who's, you know, grown rapidly into becoming a father um, can now get a job, like a good hourly paying job to like sort of once again, start building a stable sort of foundation for themselves, right? And so, so that one really struck me. Um, there was another one recently from, um, you know, one of our partner organizations based in New York City who works with, you know, with helping resettling just refugees from various countries. This particular woman, um, young woman was, um, an Afghani refugee who is the eldest of five daughters. And so she plays a really big role in supporting her four other sisters. And she'd been saving for two years to try to start her college education. And then through some emergency that came up and whatever it is, she was just literally falling a few hundred dollars short. 
part of being able to make that first tuition payment uh, was at risk of basically needing to wait a whole other year. And then that need came in, boom, we filled it. And she literally like, she's, she's, you know, taking classes. She's, she's moved forward, right? She's like able to sort of like keep on progressing in, in the way that she, she deserves and she merits, right? And because sort of like it's, it's been that unlock. And so, you know, th- those are sort of like the types of moments where the pivot is forward, right? Where it's sort of like, how do you unlock just that last mile little blocker that can really help a person step change and improve their lives? The other types of needs that really strike me are the ones that are um, in the other direction where it's sort of like, it's that unexpected emergency, but like if not stopped at the right time, it'll literally spiral into a real crisis, right? right? And so this is a kind of a classic example that I use mainly because we get so many of them, but the notion of that, you know, unexpected $300 car repair, Right. Yeah. For a lot of us in in sort of like, you know, more stable situations or whatever, it's more an annoyance. Oh, I got to call insurance. I got to call whatever. And so annoying. Right. But for, you know, for the family that's in a stable but fragile situation. Right. That unexpected car repair can actually totally mess up everything else. Right. Just imagine you have this car repair. You can't afford it. That means all of a sudden you lost your most of transportation to work. By the way, you have the type of job that even if you're late for a couple of times in the week or whatever, you can be at risk of losing it. And so that's how you can spiral from $300 car repair to three weeks from now being like, wait a minute, why am I suddenly at risk of not being able to make my rent? And wait a minute, is my family actually at risk of becoming homeless? Yes. Whoa. Right. And so that's what we strive to do, which is like work with the folks on the ground who know exactly when this is happening so that we can get those resources fast and just insert at that right moment. Right. To, to help a help a neighbor through through a tough moment. I think it's great because that becomes a, a fabulous donor story about um, uh, intervention. Yes. And you get to tell this sort of uh, spiral out of control story. And, and again, when when you're thinking about your own you know, nonprofit as you're as you're listening to this is. What are you doing in the immediacy to then stop or put a, uh, you know, sort of tourniquet on whatever things could happen in addition to, right? So regardless if you're in the DD community, if you're in the food scarcity community, if you're in um, alcohol rehabilitation community, whatever that is, you're a stopgap in something other, another tragedy uh, befalling a family or an individual that you're serving. And then your win and your impact is that immediate little moment that you probably think about it as, oh, that was just a nice little thing that we did, or that's just part of our programs and services. We don't think about it as anything groundbreaking, but to that individual, sure as hell is. That's absolutely, that's well said, Patrick. That's well said. You've got a, a litany. Can I say, I'll say litany, because I think a boatload or a litany. We're going to do one of those two frames of volunteers that work within neighbor share. That has to be an unbelievable, overwhelming task to manage a lot of these frontline workers and frontline heroes that are working directly with individuals who know about and use NeighborShare. How on earth, in a startup realm, are you navigating this very complicated volunteer system that you have put in place? Yeah, I mean, I think our volunteer team is probably one of the things I'm most proud about for NeighborShare and one of the things that I've enjoyed the most in building it is how I'd say, right? Where like, you know, once again, like we were literally at zero, like the NeighborShare name didn't even exist back in, you know, April, May of last year, right? And then, um, you know, I would call it almost like 98% of all the progress we've made came from our volunteer team. Like it's sort of like all that momentum, all that startup energy, all that expertise comes from this team. 
you know, at this point, we've basically built out a team of around 30 or so volunteers. We're all remote, by the way. I haven't met some of the like volunteers that I've grinded with on this thing with for like over a year at this point, you know, like yep. I'm particularly thinking of one guy in particular, product designer, Johnny out in Colorado. I'm like, one day, Johnny, I will fly out to you and we'll get to meet in person. <laughs> um, but you know, it's all these like just passionate volunteers who, you know, the model that we've set up basically basically is like we've recruited folks who are um, skilled and expert in their day jobs, who are willing to bring in those skills and expertise into um, into the neighbor share realm, right? And so sort of like the way I structured it is like, and this is where my background does give me a bit of an advantage and help because like what I did in my previous role was to manage, right? Like my, my job was to build and run teams and whatever. And so it's sort of like, um, it's been this interesting thing where like, yeah, I've, I've been building a company, right? I have an org chart. <laughs> I have skill sets that I need. We think about them, et cetera. And we go out and recruit. And then the one thing that's missing though is like I don't have money to pay them <laughs> right so it's, that's been like certainly an interesting challenge that I'm happy to talk more about but at the same time it's also been such just like a testament to just like the really awesome people out there right sort of like what's happened because like by default because you're screening for the like hey you're just doing this literally for social good um you by default like just end up working with awesome people who are values aligned <laughs> and you don't work with the jerks that you're like, oh, like why? And so it's like, there's like a purity of culture and intention in our team that I've just really appreciated and loved. I think with a, with a lot of nonprofits who have um, the ability to use volunteers, one of the questions that they always um, probably stare blankly at a, at a whiteboard is how on earth do you find them? So maybe you can kind of walk through your initial assessment of like, okay, here's the needs that we have. How on earth did you find, because from a, across the, you know, the, the country is where you're sort of grabbing some of these individuals. How did you find them? And then what, yeah, what yeah, did yeah. you do to attract them to say, I'm willing to do this? Exactly. I was going to say, I would start first with thinking through what your value proposition is, right? And so we thought pretty um, explicitly about that with NeighborShare, where it's sort of like a, you know, there's like a threefold thing, right? There was one, which is like, of course, just like um, belief and passion for our particular social impact mission, right? So there's, of course, like needs to be that alignment and then really pitching it out being like, hey, this is this is why we think it's exciting. And this is why we think this would be like a really innovative approach to helping to supplement the awesome work that's already being done out in the nonprofit community. The second thing is that, you know, like um, for us, it was um, really also just sharing um, the like real entrepreneurial opportunity that was here. Right. And so what we were doing is we were recruiting folks who, you know, do us, you know, X day job at certain level. And we're saying, hey, we're a startup. You're the most expert product designer, engineer X that we have. We're going to basically pull you up to organizational levels. You got a promotion. <laughs> Come in and help us build. Right. And so this like real notion of like, you're not coming in as capital, like lowercase v volunteer. You're coming in as capital V volunteer and owner with me, I think is really compelling for the people who want to go build, right? So it's sort of like, hey, and then it's also, you know, it helps um, appeal to the folks who have that entrepreneurial scratch and whatever, but they're like, well, I can't leave my day job. I need the paycheck. I don't want to take the risk, et cetera. Great. Do it for good then mm-hmm. and do it in like sort of like a nights and weekends way because we can we can help make that work. And so there's like a real sort of like appeal to the entrepreneurial thing and a real sort of like career development opportunity. And then the last piece that we really focus on building out is like this promise of community and network, right? Like we've built like a really fantastic board. We have a really great network of advisors. And so it's also a little bit like, hey, like come help us build. And by the way, you'll be making a lot of great impressions to also people who matter in the world who like all are like, you know, my board members are constantly like, who needs help on your volunteer team? Mm. Who's looking for a job? Who needs their next year? Who needs their whatever? And so it's very much creating a very explicit, like we are here to pay it forward for each other because we're all neighbors helping neighbors. 
right? And we all have needs. They might be financial needs. They might be something different. And then we're all here. So there's sort of like a that that spirit and that value is just embedded in how we work with each other and how we want to help each other out. Like I've like probably written more business school recommendations and done more job referrals than even my previous 15 years, like coming out of this thing, right? Because it's like such, it's like so great to be in a position where we can help each other out in that way as well. So that's like the value prop part. It, it, it sort of uh, spirals into my next question, which is how do you maintain the momentum of your volunteers when there is no, you know, sort of supplemental paycheck? There's a lot of extra hours. This is in addition to um, what they're doing, because I think a lot of the nonprofits who who are sort of trying to figure out uh, they show up every day, they do this X amount of work. Uh, we don't we don't take them for granted, but what purposeful things do you do on a regular basis to help build that momentum or maintain that momentum of what you're creating at NeighborShare with those who you have recruited to be volunteers? Because I think that's so insightful to kind of get perspective for other people to use different nuggets of info or little uh, ideas that they have to keep their own volunteers um, you know, sort of happy and excited. Oh, and absolutely. Lovely. Absolutely. The key lesson I learned, because to your point, we actually in early days went through some like, you know, some like higher turnover that would have been, you know, mm-hmm. um, ideal. And, um, and like, in particular, it was our, with our engineering team, right? It was like the software developers, et cetera, like that type of thing who just kind of like crank on code all day. And I don't mm-hmm. really see them. And so one of the big lessons I learned is like, you got to keep them close. Right. And so we literally do weekly team meetings where like everyone like, you know, joins in and those who can't, we record the meeting, you can send it out and you keep them close to the central strategy, any fun wins, any big challenges. It's sort of like, once again, like if the excitement in all of this is like, you know, we're that conceptual remote team grinding away in the garage, building an exciting startup, it needs to feel that way. Right. And so I think early days I was too much on the like, well, like, I don't want to waste their time. So they only need to know about their niche and like, you know, like this developer only needs to go build out these features and whatever it is. But then like it just makes you too removed from the mission. You just feel like you're just like this cog in a corner somewhere doing it versus like, no, everyone's in this and the building of it together. And so that that was like a really huge piece. Right. Which is like, you know, the implementation of these weekly meetings and like me being very transparent about what's happening. Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, just had a board meeting today. Here's what we literally yeah. talked about. Here's the tape, by the way, if you're interested in listening to it. Here's the challenges. Here's what's keeping me up at night. What's going on with you guys? Like it's sort of like a real sort of like team. And once again, we're owners and building this feel. Right. Like it's sort of like one of the first conversations I have when we recruit a new volunteer is that, hey, like I'm not going to treat you as a volunteer. Like I'm going to treat you as a person on this team with real responsibilities will obviously be super flexible. Right. So that's like another big thing, which is like, of course, empathy and flexibility. Right. Of course, the recognition that, hey, even though I'd love for NeighborShare to be everyone's number one priority, we're probably actually realistically fourth, fifth or sixth on, on line family, day job, life, et cetera. Right? We're not we're not you know, it's just like the reality of the thing. But like, let's just explicitly acknowledge that. Right. And so it's sort of like that delicate balance of like create real accountability, but also real flexibility because like a volunteer gig like this, at the end of the day, it needs to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> if people are signing up for this because they want to like enjoy themselves and use their, you know, skills to give back. And so it's sort of like, let's not create stress. Right. Like the, the joy and the, the quote unquote stress should come from the intellectual challenge of what we're building, but not from like, you know, this like angry CEO who's like, ah, like you need this thing. Right. So it's like getting that balance and spirit right has been really important. And then I would say last and not least, though, it's like that that thing I've said a couple of times before, which is like give them ownership. Right. Like like high quality people want to own things and want to own outcomes. So give them the ability to do that. And which requires a bit on, you know, the central nonprofit and to like let go a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like empower your people to like really grow and whatever, right? So like right now we're literally like you know about to spin up a whole work stream on crypto. Where I'm like, okay, like 
interesting. Like I don't, I don't like, it's like, you know, every time I watch like a 10 minute like YouTube video on crypto, it takes me like 45 minutes because I got to pause and Google every other term. Mm -hmm. But like we have like a small team within our team who like are experts in the space, really interested in it for their other business reasons, et cetera. And they like just see a lot of synergy for bringing it into neighbor share in terms of a potential way for donor growth and whatever it is. And I'm like, great, go with it. Help me do this other stuff too. That's part of the main strategy, et cetera. But if you guys are saying you want to jam for a few extra hours on the weekend, et cetera, I will support you. Like, let's go. Like, let's do it, right? And so giving that freedom and ownership a little bit, I think is really important too. So those of uh, those who've uh, listened to this uh, this podcast for a long time, know two things that, that you mentioned that are critical that we mention all the time. Number one, it's a stand-up meeting. Making sure that you know and tell your team what the hell's going on on a regular basis so that nobody's out of the loop because if they're out of the loop, they're not motivated. They don't know what the purpose yeah. is. They then question their own. So even if they're super volunteers, they question why they're on earth they're doing this. The other thing is third-party endorsement is exponentially more important than first-party solicitation. And what it means in this case is that you're having volunteers who are not paid, who just love this, talking about your vision for the organization and for neighbor share in general. So their excitement about knowing all the behind the scenes stuff or board meetings or or whatever, the nerdy things that you don't think they want to be involved with, they're going to take and tell their friends who have no association with neighbor share whatsoever. And they're going to you know, vicariously through just their excitement are going to recruit more people who are interested in either donating or volunteering or trying to get somebody to be aligned with the organization itself. And that's why it's so unbelievably critical. I'm so glad that you mentioned that too, and giving people real life examples of like what to do and to overshare. Because what are you, what are you behind some of the closed doors trying to do nefarious things? No, you're just trying to do good in the world, right? So invite people to the table to then listen and then go apostatize about what awesome things that you're doing in the community. Because nobody else, you're, it's marketing you can't buy. Absolutely. And I actually realized when you're making that comment that I neglected to answer your question around the how do we recruit these folks? Mm. So much of it is word of mouth, right? So like in yes. the beginning, it was sort of like we had a core team. And mm. then, you know, we did sort of like tap into a couple of like recruiter type friends who like found us some people that we had met before, et cetera. But like once mm -hmm. we had enough momentum and enough of a core, every other new volunteer has come through referral. Right. It's literally like, oh, we need an extra this. Like, who knows graphic designers? Who knows whatever? And then it's sort of like friend of friend, word by mouth, et cetera. And then to your point, that's the best pitch because it's a combination of like, you know, someone that that the recruit trusts saying, I'm excited about this. This is why this is a legit team. Yes. This is why we're doing really good work. And then yes. two, it's always better because it's like, if, if anything, like the quality is just so much better. Because it's someone who's like, no, I've worked with this friend, worked with this colleague. They're fantastic. They know how to do this thing, right? Way better than what you'd get in like random recruiting platform out there, right? It's why it's why you rely on total strangers' uh, advice and suggestions on Amazon to buy a product, right? You're like, it's not like yeah. the, the, the yeah. company's going to come and call you and say, "Listen, this is a really, really good deal." No, you're going to take the advice of people who don't have any association exactly. with it. That's the first thing you go to. And if your friends who you trust and love and adore and, and hang out with endorse this as an organization, of course you're going to come and look at it because you're you know that they wouldn't lead you astray, which means they're going to go and uh, associate with it. And it, so that's so important. And those make the best donors. They make the most loyal donors. They make the most enthusiastic donors because they weren't coerced by any sort of like marketing campaign you came up with. They're authentically and excited about helping you build momentum because they see it from a totally different perspective other than being approached by you, a founder, or you, a co-founder, or you, a board member. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely I love it. Right. Can't agree more. What sort of cool things on the platform uh, that NeighborShare has um, uh, were sort of 
you know, sort of interesting, like I've never thought of this, but I think this would be really cool to have, right? So you said there's a lot of development in it. There's sort of an app piece to it. What sort of, how did that start? Was it just like, I want a yellow pages full of info or was I want something mobile that we can have a direct response immediately for? How did that sort of come to play? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing started with, you know, the spark of an idea that my co-founder have, right? My co-founder, Brian Kreider. And the way we started was like, it was literally a random call on a Wednesday night, I think, you know, in the, in the beginning of the pandemic where he was like, Diana, <laughs> the world is falling apart around me. What's going on? Um, and, you know, and then he was like, by the way, I've had, like, I've no been noodling on this idea and this concept for a while based on, you know, he, in, in terms of the many things that he's done in his life, he's also had like 20 years of real experience in social impact, you know, started mm -hmm. a nonprofit when he um, was in college and all that stuff. And so he was like, I've been noodling on this idea for a while, never prioritized it. Right. Because like work, life, et cetera. But now with sort of like COVID happening and just watching the headlines flow in, right, like the avalanche of need had already been released. He was like, I feel almost irresponsible to not do something. Right. And so basically made the like made like an unsolicited unsolicited 15 minute pitch to be like, hey, do you want to build a starter with me on the side, even though we have our gig and whatever? And like me being me, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, let's go. <laughs> right. And so we just took that spark of the idea and literally just like started just building out sort of like a very basic user flow of like, hey, if the whole point is we want to connect with nonprofit frontline heroes who can identify the needs and we need a way to get the needs, um, spotlight the needs to donors so that they can like choose a neighbor to help and just get the thing going. We just kind of like started just very baseline there. And within sort of like probably I think the first like four or five weeks, um, you know, had sort of like the basic website up and running. And um, a lot of what was built in those early days is still what exists on our site today at, you know, at mbshare.org. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like, I think so much of our challenge, like, over time, hopefully we'll get more sophisticated and fancier about tech. But so much of it is also just about the the network of those nonprofit organizations, the community you're building, right? And then the messaging you're getting out to the donors. Like, there's, like, it's sort of, like, it's not just the tech piece, right? Like, that in and of itself will help us make sure things are scaled out and efficient and whatever it is. But there's also just so much of it that's just about community. Right. And how do you get the message out there? Like what well, all we're really trying to do with NeighborShare, I think, is like bring a more tech enabled approach to that age old concept of neighbors helping neighbors. And we're doing it with an added layer of trust and validation in it because of the way the world is these days. Right. And so like having these needs be sourced in a way that's like, nope, it's like a third party vouching for the fact that this person is real. This need is very real. And hey, by the way, it's a need that's about to slip through the cracks as we don't have local resources that can help with it. That, you know, that just creates like a safer environment for our donors to operate in. When you're talking about donors, how is the how does the conversation go? Do you ask specifically for specific needs or are you asking in general terms to say, hey, as an example, these are the type of things that we are doing that we're looking for your support? Because I think there's two schools of thought. One, I need to have an, an applicable thing that they can see democratically that their gift is going to make an impact on. Or these are a group of people who have the capacity to give and they trust us as an organization to get it to the people who need it most. Where do you right, find right. your balance and where we do you spend do, the most time? Yeah, we do both. We do both, right? Because like the, the way the whole thing works is that, you know, our nonprofit partners are submitting these individual needs anyways, right? Because that's the way we like right. see and screen and, and whatever. And so we expose that to our donors, right? And so we've definitely seen the pockets of donors who will say like, no, like I, um, I really love just sort of like scrolling through your site, reading these stories because it just educates me, right? Like I didn't realize needs like this were existing in like such a localized area and whatever else. And there's those like that. And there are others who are like, I just love the concept. I either don't have time to scroll or like I almost don't want to because then I can't choose. Like it's just so hard to choose. Like you, like everyone needs the help and everyone sounds like they can use the extra helping hand. So like, let me just donate to the general fund and have you guys allocate. So it's a bit of both. And I think there's power in showing it at what level, it's like whatever 
level of transparency a donor wants to see, right? It's mm-hmm. a little bit choose your own adventure and you just keep it as efficient as possible, regardless of which adventure that they choose. I, I, I love that as a choose your own adventure. By the way, that's my next, I think I need to write a book about that where you just like choose your own donor adventure where like, hey, you got to ask a bunch of questions and then you, eventually you get eaten by a dragon because I always love those books when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> so that's going to happen. Uh, you reminded me that I got to take a note to like get that it. going. I'd like some credit in there somewhere. Done. In a like- yes. <laughs> if they, you'll have definitely a piece of credit there. But the other thing I like is that you're they're doing both. You're not doing one-offs, right? So it's not one or the other, it's both. And based on what the donor is, look, like how do you relate better to a donor? If they don't understand uh, the litany of lists, they don't see this giant scrolling list of needs, they're not going to see like the massive, um, you know, they're not going to say, well, my 20 bucks isn't going to matter. Whoa, no, this is going to so matter because there's so much need or they're specifically drawn to a specific cause that actually relates with them. And it's not, it's not them only. You don't, you know, this is for those who are in need of the immediate stuff. I, I get that, but you're offering them two avenues. So if you're a nonprofit figuring out which one you should do both, do both. It's okay. Yeah, man. And experiment and get feedback. Right? Yes. Because like, it, like different things might work. And then, and look, there's like a balance, right? Like to your point about, do you show the giant, you know, scrolling screen of things? Like we played around with that where it's like, look, like we've also gotten some feedback from donors. Like that just becomes also really overwhelming. Like to your point about, oh, like my $20 is a drop in yes. the bucket. We're like just too overwhelming. I can't choose. Yep. So it's like a little bit, how do you balance that? And another thing and dynamic we've been working against is sort of like, how do you like the other, the last, the other last thing we'd want to do is almost creating this feel of like this mall for charity. Like what yeah. a terrible, undignified way to help a neighbor. So how do you also create this experience where it's like, it's once again, that more that intimate touch of like, I'm this neighbor helping a neighbor versus like, I don't know, you're on some like stores, e-commerce storefront scrolling through your 200 types of shoes to buy. Like, it's sort of like, how do you, how do you make sure you don't actually create that type of experience? Cause that's just mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, distasteful for the donor and also just not dignified, right. For, for our um, neighbors in need. And if you actually check out our website, for example, like we don't show pictures of the individual needs, right? That's like one of the first questions people ask, which is like pictures are the things that like sell, quote unquote, right? That's how you connect. That's how you whatever. Um, But, you know, for us, it's all about um, like, I understand that, yes, donors might like to see the like sad picture of the kid and whatever it is. But in our minds, it's sort of like the main people we're really ultimately here to serve are those neighbors in need. Right? right. And we they deserve sort of like a private, dignified experience um, in, in this sort of like request for help. And so we actually purposely have designed our site in a way and experience in a way where like we, we really take um, just careful attention on some of those elements and experience. I know you're in startup mode still. And I know that you're kind of in that hustle and grind sort of mentality, that entrepreneur, nonprofit kind of bit. But uh, you still have to have giant, big, hairy, audacious goals sitting out there that you'll eventually get to. What are some of them? If you sort of ramped up, starting, getting out, letting everybody know that this exists. But what are some of the things that you'd love to see as you grow uh, in the near or far future? Yeah, I mean, like, I think my vision for neighbor share is to really over time build, you know, like a true national movement, but at a hyper local level. Like, that's the thing that's unique about this thing, right? Which is like, how do we build out the neighbor share reach and network in a way where we can reach neighbors in need in all 50 states, in all corners of America, all walks of life, right? But then do it in that hyper-local, intimate way where we have the awesome boots on the ground via our frontline heroes so that even though there's like this big national thing, et cetera, it's still very intimate, 
right? It's still very, like, it's sort of like every individual has been identified who has that moment, who has that whatever. And so that's like the grand vision of like, how do we reach, you know, reach and scale in that way so that we can really truly create that sort of like neighbor to neighbor safety net for each other, right? So where that once again, the 40% of Americans who can't afford that $400 emergency, there's an extra helping hand to catch you in that moment. I think that's the big vision. If you're a donor or you're a nonprofit that's looking to get inspired, you want to go and scroll through this website itself. How on earth do you find NeighborShare? Where do you go? What's the website? How do I get a hold of you? Yeah, no, perfect. So, you know, please find us at www.nbshare.org. That's our website. You can also follow us on Instagram at NeighborShare. And then look, if folks are interested in talking to me, I love to meet people. I love to meet folks who are sort of like in the same industry and have the same passions and and whatever else. So please also just email me at Diana, D-I-A-N-A at nbshare.org. We'll drop all of those links, of course, in the show notes. And please go visit because it's just, it's such a cool thing and again, as a, if you're a small or you're a medium-sized nonprofit, you need a bit of inspiration, go there. If you need a bit of uh, cheerleading together, uh, go email Diana. And, uh, and, it's, and really kind of use uh, your story, your inspiration to go and listen, patience is a virtue. It's going to pay off. Your grind is going to work. You can kind of, you know get together and follow them on Instagram and then go like everything that they do as well. Um, I could talk for like the next like four hours uh, about this kind of stuff. This is super fun. We've already come up to our time, which is crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> so excited um, for you and this sort of adventure itself. Um, just amazing impact so far. So kudos to you for uh, continuing that uh, unbelievable work on assembling such an, a, an unbelievable diverse volunteer core uh, across that's helped you uh, manage this. And thank you so much for your tips, tricks on the ADNOT, how to recruit, get all your ducks in a row and make sure that your visions and values are aligned. But more so, how do you continue to manage some of those volunteer expectations and build that momentum and keep that momentum rocking? Um, that's going to be so helpful to those who listen, those that are looking for inspiration as well. Kudos to you. And thanks so much for being a guest on the official Do Good Better podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Patrick, for having me. This is awesome. It's been awesome indeed. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye, Patrick. Look, as someone who listens to the show, you know that I love helping small and medium-sized nonprofits. That's why we bring on the awesome experts and guests that get to talk to you about how to make your organization more awesome. So I've got a deal for you. I would like to help you. I would like to work with you. So if you're go-to dogooduniversity.com. That's dogooduniversity.com. And you register for one of the courses. I'm going to send you my best-selling book, Fundraise Awesomer, a practical guide to staying sane while doing good for free because I really want you to do amazing work. Listen, dogooduniversity.com. Go pick out something, whether it's a board training or a gratitude training or whatever webinar you want to choose. Um, use the promo code podcast, take 25% off of anything that you purchase. And I'm going to throw in a book as well, because I want you to do awesome. I want you to do awesomer and I want you to do good better. Go to dogooduniversity.com today.